Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. Today we're interviewing Bracken Darrell, CEO of Logitech. Welcome, Bracken. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, so just jumping in, you know, tell us a little bit about you and your background, where you're from, and how you, you ended up at Logitech. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in uh, Kentucky in the United States, and uh, I've lived a lot of different places, including uh, eight years in Europe, in both Germany and Switzerland, worked in Italy for four of those years. Um, and I've, uh, I've been working in a lot of large companies most of my career, and then Somehow, 10 years ago, I found my way into Logitech, and I've been running Logitech ever since. And you might know us as a mouse and keyboard business, but we do a lot more than that now. So, Right. And um, how have brands changed how they approach brand purpose early in your career compared to now? I, I believe you worked at places like Procter & Gamble and so on, who are very focused on brand purpose right now. Yeah, you know, I would say even, even way back then, we were, you know, we were fo- so focused on brand equity. Back when I first started at Procter & Gamble, I ran a brand called Old Spice, uh, which many of your listeners will know. Um, and I was, uh, uh, it was my first claim to fame turnaround. And way back then, we were trying to find the purpose. And in that case, we were, we were really trying to find who is the, who's the audience and what are they, what are they really all about? And so, at that point, I think it was at some point, a guy named Larry Plosky and I uh, came up with this concept, or maybe he came up with it, and I just encouraged that he worked for me with this idea of unapologetic masculinity in a world where it was hard to be, uh, you know, masculine male. You know, it was a it was a joke. You know, unapologetic masculinity became the so that was that was an early attempt, I think, at purpose. I don't think it was a very good one, but it was an attempt. But if I roll forward, when I ran Brown, which is uh, you know broad shavers and epilators and coffee makers, um, there you know I, I really worked hard on the purpose and and in fact I I, I tracked down a guy who wrote a book called No Surprise Purpose and uh, Nikos Morkaganis is his name he's a professor and a consultant and he had four definitions of the kind of purpose you could have so I was really seeking purpose in my life always and seeking it in the places that I worked. And we tried to get down to really defining purpose. And then, and now I think purpose is like ever since uh, the famous book about why, you know, I think all of us have been realized how critical purpose is in a company and for a brand. And, and I think a lot of companies are working on it, including P&G. Great. And so Logitech's mission is to help all people pursue their passions. What causes does Logitech support and how does this inform Logitech's initiatives? Yeah, I would say there are three words in our purpose. And I, you left off the end of it, which is important too. Enable all people, help enable all people to pursue their passions in a way that's good for the planet. So there are three ideas in that. The first one is pursuit of passion. So there it's really, you know, we, we create tools that people use in their in their in the the, the pursuit of their jobs, or their or ideally their their job is a passion. And so in their in the pursuit of passions, and when we're at our very best you know, that mouse that might be in your hand really disappears. It feels like an extension of you or are actually using this. And when we're at our very best, you don't even think about the camera you're looking into. You just think about the fact that I'm talking to you, Rupert, and you're talking to me. And yeah. if we're really at our best, and if this is a passion of ours, this, the other two words are maybe more uh, interesting in, in some regards. One of them is um, in a way that's good for the planet. You'll notice we didn't say less bad for the planet. 
So we make 200 million things out of plastic a year. So we obviously, and we, and those require a lot of carbon to create. So obviously we, we are a carbon creator for the planet, but we intentionally said, we're not going to stop at being uh, less bad. We're going to go all the way to good because we know that to get the world into a better place from a global warming standpoint, there will have to be some companies that pull their more than their fair share. And we should, because we've been a carbon creator for many, many years. So we're now carbon neutral. We'll be carbon negative by, by 2030. We're carbon labeling. We're on a path to carbon label all of our products to encourage competitors and other others in all industries to do the same thing. And we're using recycled plastics. So many things. So that's informed our, our whole, it's a strategic choice. The other word is all. And the reason we use all is because, you know, it's very similar to the good for the planet. We really believe that a lot of people have been left out, especially the underrepresented groups, including women. Um, on the path to a better and better world. And so we want to make sure whether it's our supply chain or our customers or inside our company or in the communities we serve, we want, we want all of that to reflect the strong diversity, equity, and inclusion principles that we have in the company. So that's a, that's a strategic choice too. So I'd say our purpose statement is our most important strategic choice in the company. Right. Uh, and what, what causes does Logitech support? How does this inform your initiatives? Is there specific ones apart from the two that you mentioned? Or is it um, is there one that's really important to you? Well, those two, we've, we've very, I mean, there are lots of companies and organizations, nonprofits underneath that, that are part of it and, and initiatives within our company to support both of those. But those two are our primary causes. Right. And we they link directly to the purpose statement and they also link to individualized actions that flow throughout the company. And they touch, they both touch virtually every corner of the company. We have a long way to go on both of them to be at the standard that we should be. Right. And, and do you think that, uh, do you think that consumers take into consideration brand purpose when they're buying digital products or, or some of your products, or is it more important in other sectors? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think if I looked back in the past, I would say probably not. You know, I don't think they thought too much about purpose. Um, I think there's probably a growing segment that think about it and, and probably buy based on it. Um, and if I were going to hazard a guess of the future, I think there will be more and more. So I think it is an important thing. I think certainly uh, prospective employers are evaluated based on their, their values. And this purpose statement, which incorporates, you know, three values in it, I think that has been really useful for us in recruiting. You know, it's amazing to me how many people say, you know, hey, I, I came here, or I love it here because of the, your folks on DE&I or your folks on the environment. So I do think it's becoming important from a recruiting standpoint. I think it'd be more and more important from a consumer choice standpoint. Now, do you think and certainly, I should add one more thing. I think it's going to be most important for other companies. Right. I think when you're a company and you're trying to hit sustainability targets, if you can buy from a company that's carbon negative, it helps you just hit your numbers, and you, and it's a, it's a, it's an easy choice to make. And the same thing on DEI, right? And I mean, you know, the circular economy is complicated. You know, things like plastics. Um, you know, there's one, there's a well-known shoe manufacturer that were recycling plastics to produce shoes, and then they got called out because they were saying it was coming from the oceans, but it wasn't really. I mean, those kind of things are really tricky. I'm, I'm not getting into the details of who it is, but. It's more just the, the the challenge of being able to do those things in the circular economy, because sometimes it can be prohibitively expensive, right? Pulling, yeah, it, it is really, really hard. You know, circularity, real circularity. You know, my 
my belief is that that human humanity needs to get to the point where where we live almost as close to ants or bees or something as we can where where everything we you know we have this amazing ability to create these skyscrapers but but they last forever whereas a, a bee can create a honeycomb and it, and it lasts you know a couple of years and uh, an ant an ant colony can create an ant an anthill but it just gets washed away in a big storm and gets rebuilt you know we we've, we've we've managed to um, you know, create these incredible things, but but a lot of them are terrible for the environment. So full circularity, full circularity is actually a two part thing, though I think it's one is it's the idea of full biodegradability, and the second part is it's the it has to include the concept of of uh, very low carbon creation or net carbon creation. So they're both important, and and in in a business like ours, which creates a lot of plastic, we have to first the, we either need to to recy- use recycled plastics and collect plastic so we can recycle it, which we do. So we're, we're in we're about 60 or 70% of our total uh, product line, our core product lines. We'll bring that across everything over time. But we still have a long way to go because that's a that's part of those products is recycled plastic. And it's hard to do even that. And so, for example, consumers love choice and consumers love colors. Well, up until we went into this, there was no way to get colors on plastic for, for consumer electronics that were recycled. So we had to break through that technical barrier and find alternative ways to do that. We've done that now. Um, but full recycling also requires that somehow you get the products back. And so that is a challenge. But there are lots of efforts to do that. And I'd say we're getting back more today than ever as, a, as an industry. And we've got a long way to go to get it all back. But that has to be the goal. You know, I just, I think full circularity really has to be the goal. Right. I mean, there's certain products where there is aluminium, right? I mean, they, they actually have a very sophisticated and efficient way of recycling aluminium. Yep. But plastics is pretty much far behind, right? Because of yep. a huge red of reasons why. Do you think there's another product that could be created that's not a plastic that could do the same things that plastic does, but also isn't around for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years yeah we are you know we're, we're obviously researching that all the time and, and and trying and testing things we've got a team that's looking just at alternatives to plastic and you know one there are natural things like cork i mean cork is really an amazing thing because it's natural and so it actually is negative carbon because as it grows it creates oxygen and, and takes in carbon so if you ran a carbon a, a cork farm you're actually running a negative uh, carbon manufacturing plant and then you make your products out. If you if you could make your products out of cork or partly out of cork, maybe it's a combination of cork and recycled plastic. You could. So we're looking at that as a material. The, there are other biodegradable plastics that are being made out of uh, either plant based material like tree or tree bark or others, um, and they they have limitations so far. Like you know they don't last long enough or they don't hold up well under moisture or, you know, and that's important for somebody's hands on a mouse all day. So, so there are alternative materials forming. I think as we put more and more effort into this and we're definitely putting effort into it, I think we'll discover those right. and those will come. Yeah. And I, and it also it's complicated things like medical devices and computers. You kind of need to use something like plastic, whereas water bottles, probably not, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I think to prioritize it. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, and, and where's the volume? You know, yeah. the medical devices is low volume relative to straws, which is right, exactly. everywhere. Yeah, I was I was looking at the straws I've had the last couple of days and and admiring the fact that an increasing number of straws I buy now are made out of paper. Right, and that that has changed, I think, because people have been outing single straw use yeah. and so on. Um, 
But obviously, we have a long way to go, particularly with plastics and you know, obviously packaged yeah. goods companies. Those kind of companies are the ones which really have to deal with Amazon. <laughs> Every time I get an Amazon package, there's a pile of plastic in it. There's got to be a better way. And it's not like you need it. It's not like a computer or you know medical device you can put inside your body or something. So you know, some companies are hyper-focused, like Patagonia. Yeah. And it's very clear what their purpose is. And other ones are broader. You kind of you, do you feel that Logitech is hyper focused on on their purpose, or do you think it's sort of a broader spectrum? You know, I think Patagonia Patagonia has planted their foot on one thing, which is 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 the environment, and they make clothing for people who are out in the environment, and their brand is completely about the environment. The, the literal brand name Patagonia is a place in the world that's a beautiful environment. So they're as pure as you can be, I think, in being focused on a, a you know kind of cause based strategy and purpose and, and marketing. You know, we were started 40 years ago and we were started with a different objective, but we're trying to be very pure now on, on those three areas I talked about, which is enabling people to pursue, all people to pursue their passions in a way that's good for the planet. We probably won't be ever as seamlessly focused and, and, and purely um, about one thing as Patagonia, but I don't think we need to be. I think we just need to be able to create amazing experiences for users and at the same time influence the world by being a great DEI company, which we're not yet, so we've got a long way to go, and being a great environmental sustainability company. We're really on our way there. And Patagonia is very focused on a particular audience as well. I mean, you've got to be fairly wealthy in, in Western terms. Well, in Western terms, you've got to be as wealthy as Western people to be able to afford Patagonia, yeah. and that's that's the key. Now, that's the question. Do you think, I mean, obviously you're a global company. Do you think the priorities of your purpose are different in each country? You know, North America, the West, young kids are following the Greta Thunbergs and so on, but maybe if you're in a, you know, you're in a, um, a poorer country, it's less prior, a priority. You just want to, you know, be able to eat, get food on the table and get an education. Well, I think, I think for sure, you know, the, because we have those three elements to our purpose, one of them is enabling people to pursue their passion. And, you know, the passions of a, of a, world, of a population that's really trying to, you know, really make a living and get into the, the work world for the first time or get an education that's different from, you know, the most, uh, the most overdeveloped economies in the world. So I do think from that respect, it's different. Certainly from a DE&I perspective, the issues, there are the same issues exist around the world, whether, whether it's uh, racism or gender, you know, inequality, or, but, but they're different flavor in different countries in the world, different regions of the world. So, yeah, I do think it's different. It's a little different by country. But the, the great thing is, is uh, those three things we're working on are universal. So they really are. Every human being has passions. Every human being deserves to be recognized and have opportunities like everyone else. And every human being is jeopardized, is compromised, is at risk because of global warming. So I think those are universal truths and therefore universal uh, focused opportunities in every country in the world. Right. Now, how do you think we address things like, you know, climate change in Asia and Africa? They're going to be the hardest hit, right? I mean, Bangladesh is a huge delta. And the Mekong Delta is a delta. And those are huge areas with huge populations and you know most of the asian cities are um you know on the coast and africa is going to have the biggest population growth in the next 20 or 30 years um what do you what do you think corporations should be doing about it well i don't i don't have all the answers you know i think there's probably a better expert than me but what i what i can tell you what we're doing that might there's at least a, a step in the in, in that direction which 
you know, one of the, one of the things we do is, you know, we're, and there's, we plant trees to, to, to pull, you know, the most efficient um, tool we know so far to pull carbon out of the atmosphere is, is a tree. And so we, 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 we plant trees. We do it in China. We do it in Indonesia where the orangutans are in, uh, in, in endangered species. And so we're doing it in those countries in the world. Now, will that have enough of an effect in a place like Bangladesh to reduce the flooding and that, that is probably going to get worse through global warming? I don't know. I hope so. I don't know that we have a, that an individual company kind of has a big enough impact yet to figure that out. What I do think is by, by proclaiming this as a super high priority for us and, and really driving it hard, hopefully the recognition around the world will just keep going up as, as that, 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 that collection of voices is heard and investments are made. And, and I, we, we would certainly partner with anybody in what we're doing to make it more effective. If there were a better place to plant trees or a better way to substitute plastics, um, we're open to anything. Right. That's interesting. So, so part of this purpose, right, it's it's part of brand. You know, obviously, people feel it's part of branding. Traditional marketing is, you know, making TV commercials, selling products. How do you think marketing has gone beyond the traditional model of ads, for example, um, and they're now moving into these kind of, uh, you know, broader issues? How do you think it's changed? Well, I'm 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 probably uh, maybe I'm one in the spectrum on this. I, when I was in business school, I had a professor who you know, the light went on for me in my marketing class. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize marketing is kind of everything. You know, it's, it's the product pricing, it's the product itself. It's, it's, it's efficient enough to go to market so you can price it appropriately and make the money so you can reinvest back in more innovation. So I decided marketing was everything. And then somewhere along the lines, along the, the way, I lost all my conviction around marketing. In fact, I began to be very disillusioned by it. I felt like it was you know, amplifying things that were not meaningful, but you were trying to make them seem meaningful or, or exaggerating the truth or, or just flat out and telling, saying things that weren't really, didn't, didn't matter at all. And they weren't true. So I got disillusioned with marketing. I decided I hated marketing, even though I grew up doing it and did a lot of it. And, and I stopped talking about it. I just focused on design, really designing great products. I thought, okay, I just want to create great stuff and hopefully that'll work. Somewhere along the lines, though, but I kept looking for this purpose thing. And I think in the last, you know, five or 10 years, the two, those two lanes have not crossed. And, you know, what, what used to be about, you know, finding a purpose for your company or your brand and about, you know, marketing it have now crossed completely. And at least for now, and I hope for the long term, authenticity and real purpose and meaningfulness matters a lot. And I think there's still a lot of junk in the marketing world. But there's more and more marketing that's focused on that. And I think as long as that's the case, I love marketing. <laughs> well, also, exactly. And I will say one of the benefits of social media is actually you can out people. And so yeah. if there are situations, particularly young people, if they smell something which is not authentic, they're the first people to do it. I mean, you know, that famous soft drinks company that we all know, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, had a massive backlash on an ad. Um, where they try to use a Kardashian to, you know, the Black Lives and and so on yeah. to sell a bottle, um, and obviously that yeah. kind of thing is is uh, by definition not authentic, <laughs> and that's no. that's really tricky. No. So, so which brings me on to the other thing is, which is, you know, the, the plus side of social media is just what I mentioned, which you know people can't do have a voice, but the other challenge with social media platforms like. Facebook and Instagram is they seem to be growing increasingly divisive. You know, 
um, uh, Instagram causes body dysmorphia within teenagers. Um, uh, there's certain algorithms that people have reported that they use because they want to be, they basically want to get more advertising revenue. So they want you to stay on their platform longer and they've learned that <laughs> say something more extreme, you're going to stay on it longer. So, so how can we as marketers use brand purpose to bring people together instead of divide? How, how do you think brands should be dealing with this sort of the digital world where they're actually giving money to places like that and it's actually making things worse and not bringing You know, I'm probably, uh, I'm a little bit of a, a closet optimist, you know, and I, uh, I'm not a closet optimist. I was, I was sarcastic. I'm really an optimist. And I, I really think that you can be super appealing and engaging and not be manipulative and scary, you know, and I think there are all these platforms have someone who's doing something that is really devious and, and underhanded. And then that, but there's a lot more people trying to do something good. And I, and I do think things like sustainability are interesting enough for, for, for a lot of target users and certainly DE and I, that if you, if you, if you really try to um, ride that wave and you really mean it and you really stand for what you're saying, you're really doing what you're talking about, then I think that can be highly engaging and very effective. And I think a growing number of brands, I think Nike is a pretty good example of that. I mean, everybody has their downsides. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Nike does too. But what Nike's done with uh, Colin Kaepernick and, you know, I think, I think, you know, is, is I think quite authentic. And I, and I think they really have probably had a boardroom discussion on that one. It was pretty uncomfortable, but they, they landed pretty easily because it was built on their values. And I think if that's, and by the way, that is super engaging. And there are people who disagree with it, but but yeah, I think that kind of thing can be super engaging, even though it is uh, viewed kind of as extreme. But it has the same magnetism because it's brave, you know. And I think bravery is always uh, admired. And also, we've kind of just come out of a pandemic. There's a war in Europe, <laughs> and brands yeah. have to be culturally relevant and sensitive to these things. You can't yeah. really be, you know, Russia's a big issue, and you know, the pandemic was a massive yeah. issue, and so on. Now, and, and one can't just like sit on the sidelines on those things, which is no. you know tricky. So right. what advice would you give, just in closing, what advice would you give to people who are looking to implement purpose in their brand? I mean, obviously you've worked with some of, you know, some of the biggest, most traditional brands. So, you know, P&G have a, you know, almost a college and how you do marketing, right? And uh, they have certain approaches to doing it. And uh, now you've sort of moved into a, you know, a CEO position. And uh, is there a particular thing that, you, you, you know, that major brands or CEOs or CMOs should really be doing when they're sort of looking at purpose and their brand? I think the most important thing that I don't hear people talk about is having your, your purpose built into, um, built, you know, your, 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 your brain, your, uh, whatever it is that you really stand for those values built into your purpose statement. You know, I, too often, you know, you'd, we'd all laugh, laugh about the purpose statement that we had for a company or for a brand, you know, it would be a jingle that we are, or something that you'd almost roll your eyes at and there, there, you know, it's just jokes about it. But I think it's no joke. You know, it is the most important strategic choice you make and everything can flow from it. If you really feel conviction around that statement, and I think by building a purpose statement that incorporates, you know, the social, the why you're there into it, 
that's I think it's the most important thing you can do, and, and the mo- and the biggest starting point. And the, and the reason it is is because it has to have the conviction of the people at the very top. Right. And if they don't feel conviction, they shouldn't put those words in there. But if you do, and I can't imagine putting it if you don't, then it's a it's a powerful force multiplier because you know I, you know anybody who studies strategy knows strategy you know that, that those each choice is a big deal. The most fundamental choice is the biggest deal. And so that is the most fundamental choice is what is your purpose? If you build that purpose such that you are really expressing what you're, what you're, st- what you stand for and why it's a game changer. I think it's a game changer, but it, you have to, you have to really believe it. Wonderful. So, so thank you. Um, thank you, Brecken. It's been wonderful. Thank you for your time. And um, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you again. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the purpose and sponsored entertainment space at www.sevilleproductions.com. Next week, we'll be interviewing Bruce Bilston, Executive Creative Director at Best Buy.